Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Simon Fishburne, Editor-in-Chief. Stephen Hansen, Associate Editor. Steve Austin, Washington Editor. On this week's pod, a pair of deals for Galapagos signal a new direction for the European company under CEO Paul Stoffels. The Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has broad implications for FDA's regulation of drugs. And an Indian company established by a trio of key opinion leaders from India is imagining a new future for car teas for India. But first, I am pleased to announce this year's BioCentury and Bay Helix East-West Biopharma Summit registration is now open. This year's event will take place November 14th through 16th in the San Francisco Bay Area with all digital access available to those who cannot be in San Francisco. The conference will incorporate our ninth annual China Healthcare Summit and it will bring together a gathering of C-suite executives and investors focused on building trusted cross-border relationships in Asia and beyond across the entire biopharma ecosystem. For more information, you can visit biocentryeastwest.com. And I also need to tell you about our big, big, big talent survey. We need your input. Go to biocentury.com slash survey. Takes five minutes, maybe 10 if you're the kind of person that likes filling in the boxes with brilliant, insightful answers. We need your input because this is going to go into a big analysis that the Biocentury editorial team is doing for publishing later this year. Thank you in advance for helping us out. All right, let's turn to Galapagos. Less than three months into his new role, Galapagos Chairman and CEO Paul Stoffels, the longtime J&J executive, is taking quick action to shift the company's strategic focus away from small molecules, a reliance that had dented investor confidence in the biotech, in particular over the past two years. Stephen, tell us about these two deals. On the surface, they seem kind of small, but uh, I think you did a little bit of digging. You talked to Dr. Stoffels. What did you learn? Why are these so important? Yeah, I think just to step back for a second and kind of set the context that he was kind of stepping into. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's easy now to say, but I, I think he did have to do something, right? Because Galapagos, as you said, basically in the past two years, down 80% uh, their share price, which I know is a lot of companies that are down quite a bit, but there were actually some material reasons for why Galapagos was down. They'd had at least four phase two or phase three failures where just some of these programs, late stage programs that they were really, the $5.1 billion deal with Gilead in 2019 were built around quite a few of those and then they just didn't pan out. And so it was pretty clear that sticking to the status quo was not going to keep investors interested or as you said, maintain their confidence. So he needed to do something. And, and I think, you know, as you say, these these are small deals. So it was 125 million euros for a company called CellPoint BV, which is a point of care manufacturing play focused on cell therapy, and then a bound bio, which gives them a 
essentially a biologics platform for doing antibodies or fabs. I think one of the key elements when talking to Dr. Stoffel was just essentially diversifying the platform and, and the pipeline. Galapagos was built on being able to be an excellent small molecules company, being able to do great drug target discovery, great drug discovery, drug development. But small molecules, and I'm sure Simone can comment on this, but small molecules are just, it's a high risk area. There's lots of things, as, as Paul Stoffel said, there are lots of things that you can't really tease out in the early stages that really don't pan out until you get into phase two and phase three. And so he just wanted to be able to diversify their R&D platform such that they can go after targets with multiple modalities, really. So, Stephen, first question, is this a good deal for Galapagos? I think it's a good deal for them because I think to continue to push forward in the, in the way that they sort of had over the past couple of years, it was quite clear that they needed to do something, whether this is the best thing that they should have done or whether there's more they could have done. I think that's what's up for debate. And I think you can kind of see in the stock reaction well, that there wasn't a reaction. Sorry, so Stephen, let me just interrupt you there. You know, you're kind of making it sound like it was zero sum. I mean, they've done this deal, but what have they got in the reserves? Do they have enough to do more deals? Well, that, that's where I think that's where I find it interesting with how the investor confidence sort of shapes right now. So they have around $5 billion in cash. So they are easily one of the richest when it comes to cash biotechs, not only in Europe, but in the sector. Yet they're trading at a $3.7 billion valuation. That's more than a billion dollar discount just on their cash. Right. Which, but they got money in the bank. But so... they have money in the bank. That's right. And so that's where I think the opportunity is to build these out, see what you can get from these in the near term. And then there is room to play here, I think, in case there's more that could be complementary. I mean, what that would be, it's hard to say. But as you know, we're seeing, there are lots of lots of very cheaply valued opportunities out there that they could evaluate. I, th I think this, I mean, I, I agree with you, Stephen. I mean, from a technology perspective, it may be that this turns out to be a very clever deal. You raised the issue of modalities, small molecules. I, many of us started out as small molecule people. So, you know, we hammer on endlessly, at least I do, about modalities, new modalities. And I sort of think we've reached the point where it's no longer a given that a small molecule will be the best modality. And so I think what they've done with this is just given themselves some more options. And you said at the beginning, actually, that it's maybe not the flashiest deal or the, you know, that you would go after. It's sort of not like some mega takeout that brings them huge assets within a short amount of time. It's it's more of a building blocks kind of deal, if I understand it rightly. That's right. And, and that might turn out to be very clever. I mean, we'll see. I personally would be surprised if this was, you know, this was it. I, I would imagine uh, Dr. Stoffels, as you say, has got a few other things uh, up his sleeve. But, you know, one more point on this, and you quoted this in your story that he had said to you, I knew I had to do something very I don't think he said very, very fast. You can get the exact words for me. But I, I knew I had to do something immediately, right. which to me means I have to do something and then build on that. So I think, as you point out, Galapagos has been one of the highest flying European companies. A lot of eyes on it. And, you know, I, I think for Galapagos and for Europe, you want to see that uh, a company like that can do well. That's right. And I think whether this is sort of the turning point for them, you know, doing a turnaround, I mean, obviously... It's going to depend on the data that we see, right? And, and, and what they get out of this. But to be honest, it's a small bet like this. You know, I mean, it was only $14 billion, sorry, $14 million to bring in an antibody platform that gives you, for example, one of their 
most promising programs, at least the, what they were touting a couple of years ago, was what they called the Toledo program. It's now a sick inhibitor program. And they just have not been able to basically find chemical series you know, or molecules that are selective enough to really be able to deliver on what they view as a really hot target in um, inflammation and immunology. And as Dr. Schaffel sort of pointed to when I suggested, I'm like, well, maybe this antibody platform would allow you to develop biologics against sick that could be more selective than what you can do you know, with small molecules. And his comment was, well, you're sort of reading our mind because that's what we're hoping to do with this is beyond doing, you know, creating more CAR-Ts, we can potentially deliver more selective molecules against some of these targets. So, Stephen, just before we move on to the next topic, I do want to call out the nano dimension. Danny Back and his colleagues at Nano Dimension, which I think is now called ND Capital. I mean, they got a very sweet return on this. They looked into that cell point technology just a few years ago, made an investment. It was, yeah. They put in 7 million euros in 2019 and sell it three years later for 125 million. So um, with some milestone upside involved as well. Yeah. So we are beginning to see a few deals. I want to point back to April on the BioCentury show. We had JP Morgan's Mike Gato. And he said at the time, JP Morgan was seeing a lot of activity. There weren't that many deals early this year. But what Gato pointed out was that it will take a few quarters for deal flow to return to the sector as buyers and targets are still digesting the change in valuations in the market. The way he put it was, in the way that nature abhors a vacuum, M&A abhors volatility. And so, Stephen, what are we seeing here? I mean, we had the Epizyme deal today. They're getting bought, dare I say, on the cheap by Ipsen. We had a couple of deals last week. Has the volatility settled to the point where we're going to see some of these deals where companies are being bought up at much lower valuations than they might have gotten a year and a half, two years ago? I think so, yeah. I mean, just looking specifically at the upside deal, I, I believe it's for $1.45 per share, and they did a follow-on earlier this year at $1.50. So it just goes to show that if you're taking less than what you just did a finance for at, you know, what I think it highlights is just really the challenge some of these companies are going to face in terms of actually raising new capital. And so if there isn't any real near-term view to raising capital and you're less than a year out from running out, I think you're going to see a lot of these companies are essentially, going to, this is going to be their only option. And as one investor commented to me in a discussion I had a couple of days ago, you've had a lot of investors calling for companies to maybe just simply return cash to their investors. And essentially doing a deal like this is a much quicker and more expedient way of doing that rather than going through the whole winding down process and, and allocation of assets and, and auction and stuff. Just doing a quick deal like this is, is another way to just get cash back to investors and say, good luck, hope you can spend this better somewhere else. All right. And then we have uh, stories out on our website on the Ipsen takeout, as well as uh, a couple on last week's deals that we saw. And... You know, Stephen's great story on Galapagos. Uh, I really like how it had sort of the before after pipeline, which shows what they've been through in the past couple of years. And Stoffels really puts into context where the company is headed under his watch. I'd like to turn now to a topic that, at least here in the US, is uh, all over the news. 
and it has people out in the streets on both sides of this decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. Steve, what are the implications for FDA for biopharma? So you're right. The Supreme Court decision, it's, it's already having broad effects across society in the United States. FDA is not going to be exempt, um, and it could be caught in the middle. It isn't an accident that the top Biden administration officials mentioned FDA approval of abortion drugs in comments about the Supreme Court ruling and vowed to protect access to those drugs. The issue of whether and how states can block access to abortion drugs or impose access restrictions that aren't on FDA labels, I think is, is separate from the state's ability to block access to medical consultations, including telehealth, that are necessary to get access to those drugs. I've spoken with prominent attorneys who argue both sides of the preemption issue, but they all agree that it's complex, it's contentious, and it could take years to resolve. In the end, if states can pick and choose which drugs their residents have access to, it could lead to many consequences that are outside of our experience. The most obvious is blocking access to contraceptives, including emergency contraceptives like Plan B. But you could also imagine a state blocking access to, um, to Gardasil or other HPV vaccines, or perhaps preventing access to a drug that the state Medicaid program believes is unnecessary or overpriced. Or maybe they could take on accelerated approvals and say that they don't think that there's enough evidence to merit allowing residents of their states to take those drugs. I'm not saying that all those things are going to happen, but, but they're all things that are something that people are going to have to think about now as potential fallout as a result of the preemption litigation that's going to happen as um, states and um, the federal government kind of fight it out over how the Supreme Court decision can be implemented. Now, Steve, one thing I wanted to ask you just in terms of drug development, I know we have the spotlight sort of on the one drug for abortion. Are we likely to see companies developing alternatives to that? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Um, There's a long and contentious history uh, of developing abortion drugs and getting them approved in the United States. And I don't think that's an issue where there's a problem that somebody feels needs to be solved by getting something new approved. And, and the pathway to doing that would be really fraught. I just want to say really briefly, I think that the abortion politics are going to affect FDA in other ways also. Rob Califf was confirmed by the Senate by the smallest margin that any FDA commissioner has ever received. And that was largely because a number of Republicans abandoned him over his refusal to impose new restrictions on access to abortion drugs. If Republicans gain control of the Senate, Rand Paul could likely become chair of the help committee that has jurisdiction over FDA. And he's, he's likely to go after Dr. Califf and FDA on a number of issues. And I think that the abortion politics will just give him another another plank to kind of stir contention. Uh, it, it'll be similar in the House representatives also. All right, Steve, I'm going to try really hard not to get into um, what I really think about this. But let, let me just ask you, we have seen a, a number of companies in various sectors talk about providing money for their employees to travel if they are in states where abortion is outlawed to support their travel to other states? Have we heard anything from any of the pharma companies or, or big biotechs on that front? I know of a couple of big biotechs and pharma companies that have told their employees they've already issued this, the same kind of statements that we've seen from other big companies in the United States. 
I don't want to list them here because I don't want to leave anybody out and I haven't done a comprehensive survey, but I've heard of at least four that have done that. I've heard from employees at those companies that they've done that and I expect it to become common. Let's move on to a trial start that kicked off last week in Bangalore. Now, we don't often talk about early stage trial starts on the pod, but this one is actually quite interesting. Um, Steve, I'll let you just jump in here. It's something that I've been following for a few years. And uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, I think it's really interesting and I think it could have a big impact. It's a company called Immuneal Therapeutics. They have in-licensed a CAR-T therapy from a Spanish academic group. And their goal is to dramatically reduce the price of CAR-T and other kind of cell therapies so that they're accessible to people in India and countries like that. They've said that on this, uh, they've started a phase two trial. They've said that if it's successful, that they'll launch the therapy initially at $75,000 of procedure. That includes all of the hospitalization costs as well as the CAR-T therapy itself. And they think they can get that down to $35,000 or less. That's in contrast to the United States where the CAR-T therapy, you know, costs close to $500,000 and all of the costs, including hospital charges, can exceed a million dollars. So it's a dramatic reduction in cost. They've also said that this is just the beginning. They're planning to use this as a way of building their competence, their expertise, and their relationship with regulators so that they're in position when even less expensive options for cell therapies, perhaps allergenic therapies or NK cells are, uh, are available that they could in license and use a similar model to make them available in India and other countries at even less expensive prices. So I'm sure a lot of our um, listeners are going to be thinking, well, how is it that people in India are going to get CAR-Ts for less than $35,000? Why can't that be translated then into the U.S.? Yeah, I don't know if the exact numbers probably can't be translated to the United States because the hospital fees in India and the, the fees for uh, physicians and so on are far less than they are in the United States. But I think that this does show that there's a model, if they're successful, for dramatically reducing the costs of, of CAR-T therapies and other kinds of cell therapies in the United States. One of the ways that they're going about doing this, and they've talked about this quite a bit, is to change their thinking from a pharmaceutical model to a procedure model, and basically to treat this like bone marrow transplants or other kind of procedures that are performed in hospitals. They've got technology for creating the CAR-Ts at point of care at the, at the hospitals where they're going to be administered. And um, they're also willing to accept the kind of profit margins that hospitals typically get on procedures rather than the profits that drug companies get on pharmaceuticals. I think that's very interesting. So they're effectively seeing this as a procedure rather than a, let's call it a drug or a therapy. And, you know, that's a mind shift. It's going to be very interesting to see I'm a little skeptical that it could happen, but whether pharma companies will take that approach and because uh, they have such a huge investment in this and, you know, figure out that it could be made more broadly accessible in the U.S. with that kind of a pricing structure. Well, it, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the case that it has to be left to the pharmaceutical companies to do this. If other entities can create mm -hmm. CAR-T therapies. For example, something that's analogous to the 
to the nonprofit organization in Spain that's created the one that Immuniel has in license, then it might be taken out of the hands of, of pharma companies. Interesting. And, and speaking to the price, uh, Kush Parmar, who is a uh, managing partner of 5AM Ventures and one of the three founders of this company, told you, Steve, that you know they are not doing this because we need to make a buck. There is no point in doing this if we need to get a profit margin that limits access to the therapy. And he said their investors understand that. Now, the other two founders, uh, equally big names, Kiran Mazumdar Shah, chairperson and managing director of Biocon, which is one of India's top biotech companies. And of course, Siddhartha Mukherjee, who's a cancer and stem cell biologist at Columbia University. He's also the author of nonfiction articles and books, writes a lot for The New Yorker, and his uh, fabulous history of cancer, The Emperor of Maladies, of course. One thing that Kieran told Steve, she said, we had a clear objective of putting India on the map of CAR-T because we were missing in action. Now, they aren't the only company that is out there in India working on this. They are really kind of cutting the trail, seeding this industry, but there are a few others. Dr. Reddy's big name there, it has rights to a anti-BCMA CAR T cell therapy from a company in Shenzhen. And there's a company called Immunoact, which is a spin-out from the Indian Institute of Technology. Let's see. I, I think those are sort of the leading players. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few more. The interesting thing about Immunoact is that they are developing a proprietary CAR-T therapy. Dr. Reddy's and Immuniel have taken the strategy of in-licensing. Immunoact is developing its own CAR-T therapy. And they told me that they expect to start their phase two trial within a couple of months. And they're hoping that they can get approval in India 12 to 18 months after they start their phase two trial. All right, and it's noteworthy that Carl June, who's uh, of course the, the CAR T cell pioneer, he is on the board of Immuniel and Immunoact. Steve's story you'll find on biocentury.com. It's up there with Steven's story on Galapagos and Paul Bonanos' story on today's Epizyme deal. And I think that's all we have time for. Uh, just another reminder that we need your help here at BioCentury on our big, 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 big talent survey. Go to biocentury.com slash survey. And Simone, final thought on Wimbledon. First of all, Jeff, I'm gonna get you to say Wimbledon. I'm definitely gonna do it this year. Second, Wimbledon. I'm, I'm still working yeah. on Tottenham. I, I feel like I've improved on Tottenham. De definitely, we're going to get Wimbledon fluency going here. I'm sitting here. I have John McEnroe to my right, or at least on the screen. And, um, you know, delighted to see that Emma Raducanu has got through her first round, Cameron Nari through her first round. We'll see what Murray's got in store for us today and tune in next week to see my synopsis of the first week of Wimbledon. 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 With a D. Are there cucumber sandwiches involved? No, 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 no. Strawberries and cream, but you know, nobody, Excellent. nobody can afford those, Jeff. You just, you, know, you bring them. Yeah, th this is all just a preview for our new sidebar podcast on tennis. Yes. 
But seriously, going back to the survey, we need company founders. Are you a new company founder? A founder of a new company, the first time company founder, however you want to say it. Are you new to the industry or trying to get into biotech? Or do you know somebody who's trying to do that? We need to hear from you. We need to hear what works and doesn't work. We want your voice to be heard. So go to our survey, Jeff, at biocentury.com slash survey. And if we want to get kind of a generational battle going, we will say that the Gen Xers are leading the pack, millennials in second. Where are the boomers? We need some boomers to reply to this survey. They're they're kind of lagging. And some Gen Zs, you know, Gen Z, you got to be to the industry, people. We need you for our future. Although I have to tell you, Jeff, on the boomers, I'm wondering if there's Boomers who just can't face it that they're boomers and they're just signing up as Gen Xers, you know? You gotta wonder. You gotta wonder. We were, we have been very cool ever since Douglas Copeland, that was his name, right? Who who, who named us back in the day. All right. I, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground here. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Our friends at Kendall Square Orchestra provide the music for our podcasts. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. Simone's comments on tennis do not reflect the opinions of BioCentury, <laughs> but they are always welcome on this podcast.